The Start On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Wednesday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, or should I say the Election Day edition of the podcast for The Start as Winnipeggers and Manitobans head to the polls today to vote in municipal elections, and we have lots to talk about on that subject, including the director of an organization called Changemakers. This woman has spent decades in communications with both City Hall and the province, so she has some great insight into how things work. Also on the subject of the election, we're going to have a conversation drawing a bit of a comparison to Portage in Maine as we get ready to vote on that today as well. We'll make the comparison to Calgary's Peace Bridge because it just so happens The Guardian just a few days ago featured an article on that similarly controversial project. And we'll speak with the co-founders of Modacity and co-authors of Building the Cycling City as they weigh in on how that community has now embraced what was once a very controversial topic. We're also going to speak to the city's senior elections official on this election day and get to the nuts and bolts of how everything works. We'll learn about World Polio Day and speak to a man who has been dealing with polio for his whole life. His story is fascinating. Thursday is Dwarfism Awareness Day in Manitoba, so we will visit with the little people of Manitoba. We always look forward to their annual visit. We're also going to hear from a local tour operator after the news that Lonely Planet, the travel giant Lonely Planet, has named Manitoba among its top 10 regions to visit around the world in 2019 and Twin River Travel has some great ideas for you and for people around the world to take in if they want to check out Manitoba in a brand new way. We want to take a look at a situation in Calgary where you could draw a line of comparison to what we are voting on here in Winnipeg today. One of the things that we are voting on here in Winnipeg today, and right now that's what we want to talk about, Loren McNabb, the election. Yeah, and we were saying early this morning that, you know, we, we couldn't figure out if this was a harder campaign to become interested in or it sort of felt a little flat to us. And we want to talk about how this might shake down tonight who might be the CEO of our city by the end of the day and we brought in Bonnie Staples Lyons who's the director of Changemakers but has also spent decades in the communications uh, industry if you will both advising people at City Hall and at the province and so Bonnie you get very much at the end of the day that you know you can have a greatest idea in the world but if you can't sell it it doesn't matter. Um, just you and I were talking earlier I was listening uh, yesterday when uh, Jenny Motlock was on with uh, Hal Anderson and it was such a great interview. And it's unfortunate she didn't get out there sooner with that because um, she's got a great story to tell. And I'm not sure everybody knows it. But I think um, I don't think it's I think it's going to be closer than people think tonight. And that's different. I know a few weeks ago we interviewed you for Global News and you talked about it being a bit of a, a snooze election, if you will. Has that changed in the last couple of weeks? You feel it is with, um, I mean, when the ads start uh, coming, when it starts to step up, everybody seems to be talking about it. I was doing a strategic planning ses- session yesterday. Everybody there from all different walks of life were talking about the election. So that's good. Well, we've seen uh, a, a, a marked increase in advanced polls, Bonnie, and also the idea that uh, this is a one horse, two horse, three horse. How many horses in this race, genuinely? Uh, I would say two. Two? 
and I'm going to be in trouble probably for that. But I, I really do think it's it's the mayor and uh, Jenny. And I got to tell you, it's really hard. Incumbency is such a huge factor in a lot of elections. Like I've always said, you know, governments defeat themselves. But especially at City Hall, where it's name recognition, there's no party politics. So it is, uh, I mean... When you've been there, people just, oh, yeah, I recognize that name. Do you think that the fact that Mayor Bowman would only participate in debates if all candidates were present worked against him? Because you say that it's closer than people anticipate, maybe even closer than Mayor Bowman himself anticipated. Um, I'm not sure about that. If, if I was the incumbent... I would want everybody there because with that many there, I mean, you are the target when you're the incumbent. Everybody's asking you because they've got to take you down. So he was, I would say, savvy by saying, no, I'm going to be there only if everybody else is. Does yeah. it? Should we change the strategy? Should there be a, a rule going forward when it comes to election debates, though? Because some of them, and then I had friends watching in other cities reading in we're like what is going on there like this is silly who's so-and-so who's this guy i mean it really took away from having a genuine conversation about some really concerning issues and also about our vision for how we want winnipeg to be and who we want to be going forward i agree i think um you know in provincial and federal uh you have to have you have to put some money down you have to have quite a few signatures and people say oh well that's not a great democratic process everybody should be able to run well i guess but they're running to run a billion-dollar corporation. Mm-hmm. So if you can't raise some money and get signatures, how are you going to run this city? And I think that would get rid of some of the some of the people that go in just for to get their name out there. Well, and I liken that to a job interview and having to provide references. If your references don't match and can't correlate with the job that you're applying for, you're not even going to get the interview, right? And so maybe we need to have some more stringent rules about who can run for mayor because the conversation, the amount of time that we have for discussion and debate is very limited. I wonder, too, we talked about the debates themselves, but then this debate over Portage and Maine, Bonnie, how much do you think it's either overtaken the election or just been kind of a distraction in some sense? I think it's been um, very much part of the election because people are very clear on where they stand on it. It's unfortunate. Like I don't, I don't like plebiscites to begin with. I think you're elected to lead, and there's never enough time to educate the public. I mean, that's why you elect people because they have the time to spend and analyze it. And I, I think the yes vote. I mean, I just got their brochure four days ago. And, you know, there's some good information there, but far too late. And now I'm hearing that um, they might have to take them down anyway for construction reasons. Well, they're definitely going to have to do some repairs and work and refurbishments. And then there's the issue of all the building owners who may just themselves want to go ahead and make some changes to their own little corners. I mean, change is coming in some way. Right. But the good thing is, is people are talking about it. People care about our city. But it just, it strikes me funny when I hear an ad saying, you know, the coldest place on earth is Portage in Maine. There's an ad out there. Yeah, you hear it right here. It's from our friends at Superlube. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay because they're they're that's painting a, a picture, too, and yeah. that's their job is to paint a picture. And that's where I wanted to go next with you, Bonnie. My big complaint when we opened the show at six o'clock was I never felt as though, and it's the first time in a long time where I didn't feel as though someone was trying to sell me something in terms of a vision for the future of our city. All I was being told on one hand, it felt as though that what we're doing is completely wrong. 
and that we don't know what we're doing and we're spending money. But there weren't any alternatives given. And even the mayor didn't do, in my opinion, do a very good job of painting a picture of what it is that he's accomplished. Is that a fair assessment on my part? Or maybe I'll ask it this way. Do you think that I'm alone in that perception? Uh, I don't think you're alone at all. I th- I think a lot of people feel that way. I think it's um, like there's no, there's not a great um, uh, energized debate out there about what's going on, and there's not really an obvious ballot question. So that way, it it can be kind of ho hum. But I don't think any of them, till just lately, have done a great job of articulating. And I think part of that is with how many candidates are out there, and how I mean, I know the media has to be fair to cover everybody, but how do you really cover eight people? Yeah, the I think the council. Is hard. Yeah, it is. And I think the council races are going to be very interesting, though. I think we're going to see a different council. I think the mayor, uh, if he comes in, it's going to be. Different because you've got, you know, four of his people that are, you know, have endorsed another candidate. Mm-hmm. I think uh, if Jenny uh, wins, then she's uh, she's got new people to win over. So uh, I'm I'm interested more in the council races, especially, you know, it, where you've got two incumbents going up against we're in the same seat. Right. Well, another great reason I love city hall politics and I think people should be more engaged is there aren't those party lines. I mean, sure, you you might be a person who sides with the mayor on one occasion. You might join his team, so to speak. uh, And then you might change your mind down the road and join somebody else's. But you're not you're not forced into, you know, you must vote with the party on this circumstance. And so no matter what happens tonight, that change is coming. You're going to have four new faces. Then you're going to have the four who who did endorse uh, an opposing candidate or, or or who might be the mayor. I mean, it makes it it makes it interesting and it makes it you have to play nice in the in this sandbox well, for sure. whoever wins who is going to be tasked with consensus building There's absolutely gonna a, that's going to be a big part of their job and that's always what city hall is about um when i i was there for four years and it's okay who will vote on this issue because they feel it's the best for their area and not i mean not everybody always voted the same way and i remember being at uh, executive policy committees where you know that's kind of the inner cabinet like huge debates which it was interesting right because usually you can come up with the best plan that way bonnie staples lyons director of change makers and has spent decades in communications with both city hall and the province did you vote already or did you go or are you voting today i'm voting today i always wait to the day i don't know why it's just excitement <laughs> <laughs> There's more people, or it's a little bit festive. You kind of, you know, you can leave things, uh, you know, down to the last second if you feel like it. It's edgy. All right, Bonnie, thank you so much for coming in for the early visit. We appreciate it. It is election day. The question of opening Portage and Maine on the ballot today, of course, polls open in 11 minutes' time. Just so happens the Guardian, just a few days ago, featured an article on a similarly controversial project in Calgary's history just from a few years back. It's the Peace Bridge, and the writers of the article are Melissa and Chris Bruntlett from Vancouver. They're co-founders of Modacity and co-authors of Building the Cycling City. We spoke to them this morning in Australia. So we talk about building a cycling city. In Winnipeg here, we think we're we're fairly unique because of our climate, and quite often there's opposition to investing in cycling infrastructure because... Many people will suggest, oh, it's too cold here, we get too much snow here, and it, it's not a worthwhile investment. Now, I know Calgary doesn't have the same climate we do, but it's fairly similar. 
for a good portion of the year. Why don't you tell us about the about the Peace Bridge in Calgary, uh, what's become an iconic piece of architecture, but also a critical part of cycling infrastructure in that city. Yeah, so we we wrote an entire chapter on Calgary um, in the hopes of perhaps shining a light on a, an unlikely cycling city, a, a city that discovered um, that by investing in active transportation and, and giving people options to to get around, um, they can they can brand their city as uh, something that's doing things a little bit differently. And I think Calgary has succeeded there with the construction of the Peace Bridge, which at the time was hugely controversial, and uh, but has, has since become kind of an icon for a city that uh, that uh, is trying to attract new investors, new talent, new businesses into their city center um, and and become a place that's not just a, about one way of getting around, and that's uh, the private automobile. Why was it so controversial at the time? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it was the first, um, first crossing over the Bow River that was um, dedicated solely for walking and cycling. There would be no vehicle traffic. It's something that had been promised for some time, but never really followed through on. So um, when it was finally approved and, um, you know, plans begun for it, uh, people were pushing back on, on that uh, dedication of funds to just a crossing for walking and cycling. Uh, it was also uh, uh, it was also basically designed with uh, beauty in the in the design de- uh, description, uh, something that hadn't really been done before. And you know, we uh, when we were interviewing uh, Councillor Drew Farrell about it, uh, she was saying that what she was hearing was that uh, people in Calgary, if they wanted beauty, they would go for to Paris for that. But here, but in Calgary itself, they just needed it to work. So. You know, building something solely for walking and cycling and, and making sure that it was quite beautiful. They hired uh, renowned art um, designer Santiago Calatrava to to design the bridge. It became quite controversial in terms of funds being dedicated that uh, people weren't really seeing the investment as being worthwhile at the time. What do you think is behind that statement or sentiment that was saying, you know, if we want beauty, we travel to Paris. In Calgary, we just need to work. I think that sentiment might live in other cities as well. What's behind that, do you, in your opinion? Um, I, I think it's quite a sad indictment uh, on, on ourselves as a society that we don't feel that we deserve to build things that are beautiful, that are physically attractive. Um, and it, it's really, you know, unfortunate that we believe that if we want uh, walkable, bikeable, you know, transit-rich cities, that we have to go elsewhere to experience them. And we can't possibly make those investments and those allocations of priority and funding to to build options in our own cities. And uh, I think the tide is slowly starting to change. But but there's still this old guard that feel that, uh, you know, it's uh, those are frivolities that we just can't uh, can't, uh, it, you know, afford or, or justify at this point in, in time. Well, this bridge you're talking about in Calgary, the Peace Bridge was twenty four point five million dollars. That is a lot of money for people. And I know here in Winnipeg, when we talk about big designs or, or new projects might come in, you know, we look at other things. We think about our crime issues or our problems with our roads. And there's a lot of people who think, you know, I get I might understand what you're trying to say, but I, I appreciate function over form in this moment because of the issues that we're dealing with. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, that's obviously a conversation that's happening in a lot of cities when we're thinking about how we're allocating fund funds. Um, the one thing that we do point out in the book, um, you know, rather quickly, though, is, you know, the amount of money that we're spending on um, new interchanges for highways, widening streets here and there, it just that $24.5 million is is a drop in the bucket compared to what we normally spend on dedicated roads um, and bridges and, and you know, regular infrastructure dedicated solely to one mode of transportation. And, you know, sometimes we need to be looking at how we're investing in the way everybody gets around, not just people who own a car. So, you know, the Peace Bridge is an example of, of an opportunity for um, people who are walking, cycling, people who don't have access to a car to have access to the downtown without having to deal with the stresses of, of being right next to fast moving traffic. So we're talking about kids, we're talking about seniors, people with limited mobility, you know, those investments are helping those people in a way that, you know, investing a billion dollars in a new uh, bridge just solely dedicated to cars isn't going to help them. So either one of you here, what has been the effect with regard to not only building this bridge, but the bridge did create a situation where a, a downtown neighborhood on the north side of the Bow River now is instantly connected to the main downtown. And this bridge was constructed in conjunction with the new cycle track downtown. What's the uptake been? Yeah, so once the bridge was was put in place and connected to an initial protected bike lane, which was just uh, one street, um, cycling quadrupled overnight. And so the discussion quickly shifted from not just building one or two cycle tracks, but building an entire network, six, seven, eight cycle tracks that would form a minimum grid across downtown Calgary. And rather than just implement them piecemeal over you know years and years and years, uh, their council, in, in their infinite wisdom, decided to do it all overnight. So they were all installed very quickly using cheap, light, quick materials, um, incidentally, op- it opened $2 million under budget in two months early. And uh, the idea was that this was a pilot project. We would see if people used it. We will see if it affected traffic. We'd see if it impacts safety. Um, and after 18 months, the council would ultimately decide whether to keep it or whether to remove it. And, and if it failed, you know, no harm, no foul. We tried it out. And uh Believe it or not, you know, after 18 months, the the city loved it. It induced 1.2 million new bicycle trips um, just by reallocating 2% of the downtown road space. So Calgary has found that uh, if you put in an entire network that's connected rather than doing it piecemeal, as many other cities have, and provide space that's fully protected, then more and more people will get on their bikes and not just the ones that are already cycling, but they will attract new people to, uh, to cycling for transportation as well. Melissa and Chris, before we wrap up here, we're having a similar situation. We're actually voting on it today in our civic election regarding our intersection Portage and Main, pardon me, which is closed off to pedestrians. Are you familiar at all with the debate that's happening in Winnipeg? Yeah, we are familiar. And actually, I was in the city in the summertime and and found myself at that intersection and quite lost to be fair <laughs> yeah so obviously it's not the same thing but we're you know it's a similar mentality well we don't want to spend money on that we need to put money into our potholes and focus on as loren mentioned crime and safety so the impact of closing off a big intersection like that in the middle of downtown what what do you think 
would be the effect if they opened it to pedestrians? I mean, I think the the effects will be will be very, very positive. I think there will be a lot of initial um, panic over what, how will this affect traffic. Um, but like every um, every project that we've looked at, every city that's experimented with opening sp- streets and spaces up to people on foot or people on bicycles, the the result is always far better than what the intended or the expected outcome would be. Um, you know, opening space up to people just opens it up to more connectivity and you'll see more vibrancy in the city and, and more people spending time in the space as opposed to avoiding it because, you know, in my experience um, in, in the summertime, I ended up five blocks out of the direction where I wanted to be and um, trying to figure out how I got back to where I started from. And, you know, by building that more intuitive connection inherently you'll people will start to feel more comfortable and and more willing to spend time in the city all right melissa and chris brunlett thank you so much for joining us uh this evening i suppose in australia we very much appreciate it how long are you in australia for so this is actually the the first stop on a nine city tour we'll be here for six weeks uh, so wow. we're just getting started amazing wow. Well, it sounds like you guys have a real hard knock life. I feel really <laughs> terrible for you. <laughs> Thanks for making time for us, friends. Appreciate it very much. Our pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Right, bye-bye. Melissa and Chris Bruntlett joining us from Australia. They are from Vancouver, co-founders of Modacity and co-authors of a book called Building the Cycling City, talking about the Peace Bridge in Calgary. So Lorraine McNabb polls now officially open on election day. Uh, of course, the advance polls uh, happened, closed up last week. Uh, some almost 40,000 people voting in the advance polls. Uh, but one of the big questions, the first time, and as you pointed out earlier this morning, first time in our lifetimes, there is a plebiscite on the ballot. First time in our lifetimes as voters, I think. I think there might have been one back in the 80s, but certainly we weren't we weren't voting then. The question on the ballot is, do you support the opening of Portage and Maine to pedestrian crossings? Yes or no? And as we've seen over the last few weeks, there has been... A whole, I never thought I'd imagine a campaign over a plebiscite question because I've never experienced it before. But it's been fascinating to see the sides come out. Uh, it's also been a little bit sad at some times to see how mean it's gotten, depending mm-hmm. on where you where, where you fall and, and how you feel about it. And then, of course, it's been the question that every single candidate has had to answer. And not just the mayoral candidates, but dozens of hopeful counselors because it, it it matters. It really matters to people. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to say this um, respectfully as I can. In Calgary, they're having a plebiscite over whether or not to spend billions of dollars to host the Olympic Games. All over the United States, they have plebiscites and they have votes on a variety of different things. And some of them are meat and potatoes issues, but the bigger ones that most people may have paid attention to over the years and and maybe the city where their favorite NFL or NHL team plays has to do with public funding for stadiums and arenas, big multi-million dollar projects where there's public money involved. And, well, I don't know if you saw the... 
I don't know if you saw the tweet from Vice News, but they kind of kicked Winnipeg all around in terms of the ideas that have been floated in our campaign. And the rest of the country is kind of looking at us and going, you're voting about what today? We know how it's going to go. Yeah. Okay. Do we? You think so? You think oh. it's that definitive? Yeah. I just wonder if one side's more like the no side. I think the yes or the vote open campaign rather has had a much more uh, obvious the vote campaign. No, quote there, unquote, is, there campaign is no vote no they, campaign. Didn't need to exist. Didn't need to exist. There was no reason so for for it to exist. It's a non-binding plebiscite in that they don't technically. When it's a plebiscite, a referendum, they have to abide by the results. In the plebiscite, you don't. It just sort of gives politicians uh, an idea of where to go in However, this in this one all the candidates have said the mayoral candidates have said they would abide by whatever winnipeggers decide so which is which makes this an important vote that certainly does but i have no doubt about which way it's going to go and yes it's going to be no it'll be no it'll be a resounding no yeah, and you're right. Uh, as far as the the vote open is concerned, they have been more vocal uh, because the no side has not needed to be vocal on this. Uh, I mean, of course, our listeners have weighed in, and generally speaking, whenever we open up the debate here on CJOB, the majority is in favor of the no side. But I, I saw a post on uh, Instagram a couple of weeks back that I wanted to just read a little bit of here. It's from a business called O Donuts. Have either of you ever been there? Ever heard of it? Yes, I've heard of it. I have not been. Yeah, it's on Broadway. And uh, we actually feature them in a story I did a few months back here on 680 CJOB. But uh, it reads, opening Portage in Maine has taken up a lot of space in the upcoming civic election. And while O Donuts isn't near the intersection, that was intentional. When we were looking for a space, we knew we wanted to locate downtown. However, the desolate, pedestrian, unfriendly areas surrounding Portage Avenue were not ideal locations. We knew we needed people on the streets to generate walk-up traffic, and we knew locating near Portage, and especially Portage in Maine, would not be a great business decision. So we looked further from Portage to Broadway with its beautiful tree-lined boulevard. The street is the only option for pedestrians. goes on from there. You can read the whole thing at on their Instagram. But uh, that's an inter- interesting point. You look at Broadway and just how vibrant it is. Oh, you paint a, such a picture just seeing the handful of things there. You know, the tree-lined boulevard, I know that that's lacking on Portage Avenue, but Tell me you haven't ever gone, yeah, we're just going to go hit a food truck or a hot dog stand on Broadway on a beautiful summer day. There are people that drive halfway across the city to go and do that Yeah, on a work day. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, quite the sight, the odd time that I have to drive through. I think actually I remember, Greg, you and I were driving, maybe it was to St. Boniface Hospital for an event there to the research center, and uh, we went up Broadway, and it was, it was the traffic was quite heavy because everybody was trying to find a spot so they could get out and get a hot dog or a pizza or a bag of fries or whatever the case is uh, because it's so pedestrian friendly and it's nice to see that kind of thing. So I I know I realize and I fully admit that when the three of us, we've all uh, said on the air that we would like to see it open and that doesn't make for the best radio when all three people are agreeing. But uh, we also want to make it clear that just because the three of us happen to be on one side doesn't mean that that is an endorsement from the radio station, nor does it mean that we don't aren't interested in engaging in a discussion with you on it. Just because we don't agree doesn't mean we can't still have a chat. No, I think we've had a lot of civil discourse about the 
about the question. And actually, I have a couple times over the last six weeks for sure. I wouldn't say I've gone back and forth, but I've really given different arguments more consideration than I, than I maybe have in the past because of what I've, I've been hearing from different people, which I think is important just to at least consider all the sides. And it's not just open and close, right? It's just all the sides of everything from what could it do for connectivity? What could it do for uh, those who are in the, uh, living with a disability? Like there's all sorts of conversations worth having. I think part of the problem for me and when, when I sit here right now is that uh, I don't, nobody really, I can, I can see what it can be, but did we need to almost have like a video or an artist rendering or paint the picture for me on not just what it would look like to cross, but what those corners could look like uh, with different cafes or restaurants or all the rest. The best point, in my opinion, that's been made throughout this entire thing is if the plebiscite was to close it and to put people underground with that pass. The polls are open. They've been open for 36 minutes now. It is Civic Election Day in Winnipeg and across Manitoba. Yeah, and that means time's up for anyone who wants to make a final <laughs> pitch. It's over. You can't do you it. Mean I can't. I can't nope. run. No, you want to. You can't run, and you definitely Dang. can't take out any uh, more ad time, giving us one last uh, one last pitch. But you know, depending on where you live, there are several interesting questions on the ballot today. Like in Winkler, for example, they're also deciding whether or not they want to allow retail cannabis stores in that community, which is a interesting question for them. I think Steinbach's another one. Here in Winnipeg, there is, of course, the question, the plebiscite on Portage in Maine, not to mention who you want as your mayor, your councillor, your school trustee. Mark Lemoyne is the is Winnipeg's senior election official and joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Happy election day. Yeah, I like the way you phrase that. It is a happy day, I think, for a lot of us. Um, but also, many of us haven't been through something like this before, and I'm speaking of the plebiscite. Which, which got me thinking there's a lot on the ballot this morning in terms of who you're going to vote for and also how you're going to vote on that question. So walk us through it. Is it all on the exact same ballot? It is, yeah. We have a combined ballot. We use voting machines, so we're able to put all on one. So when you go to the polls, you'll actually see four different sections on the ballot. You get to vote for mayor, councillor, school trustee. And then, as you mentioned, vote yes or no on the question of whether you want to open up Portage and Main to pedestrian crossings. Will you be writing down yes or no? Will be, you'll be checking off a, a yes or no, like a multiple choice kind of thing. So what we do, it's much like when you uh, go off to buy a lot of Macs or something else and you pick your own numbers, you actually fill in the circle next to the name of the person you want to vote for or fill in the circle yes to the beside the yes or no for the question. Now, Mark, I'm not trying to uh, promote this in any way, shape or form, but I know a lot of people are asking on uh, social media about the idea. I'm one of these people who in the past has not been happy with my choices for a variety of different offices, uh, but I cherish the right to vote. And so I've gone and either marked a check mark for all of them or just put a big X across all of it. Um, what's the proper way either to A, decline your vote or to kind of do a protest vote uh, that would suggest I don't want to vote for anyone, but I'd like my ballot to be counted? So what happens when you go into the polls, when you actually get issued the ballot, your name will get struck off the voters list. So it'll show that you've actually voted. At that point, you could take your ballot, give it back to the actual clerk, and they'll put it in the return ballot envelope, and it'll be counted as a return ballot. Or if you prefer, you can take your ballot, bring it and still mark it. And as you say, you can mark uh, down all the candidates if you want. You can leave them all blank. If you uh, either mark too many candidates or if you uh, leave them all blank, the machine will return it, just indicating to the uh, 
person that, you know, you have voted for too many mayors, let's say, is that really what you intended to do? And if you say yes, then you can cast it that way. And it'll be counted as an overvoted ballot. You know, and you should know, of course, that uh, if you do only want to vote for one of the four races, you can do so. You don't have to vote for all of them. So if you don't want to vote for anything except, let's say, councillor, you can just mark down the choice for councillor. The machine will count that actual race. And then if you leave all the others blank, it just won't count any results for that one. Mark, do you need that voting card that, that like, I got one in the mail. Do you need to bring that with you when you vote or can you just show up with a piece of ID? Yep. Basically, just everyone needs a piece of ID, either uh, one piece of picture ID, such as a uh, driver's license that shows your name and address, or else two other pieces of ID that together show your name and address, and that might be something, let's say, like a credit card, a utility bill. So you don't need that actual voter's card. The voter's card is just a direction form that tells you where to go to vote on election day. In our advanced polls, most of them were vote anywhere, so you can go to any of the malls, any of the universities. But on election day, you do have to go where it's listed on your actual card. Why? 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 It seems to me it would make more sense to change that and make the process easier for everyone. We are looking towards that, right? Uh, it does work well in advance. We did have uh, a record turnout this year in advance, I think, uh, because of that vote anywhere ability. Uh, what happens on election day, though, is it's uh, we do have to revert back to our paper poll books in most of the actual wards. And so your name is only on the voters list in that one actual ward. So we have to direct you to there. What we're doing this year for the folks in the Waverly West ward is having a little pilot project. And what we've done is we've put uh, iPads in the Waverly West ward, the same ones we used in advance. And so that enables the people within the Waverly West Ward only to do vote anywhere at any of their 10 locations. So even though the card is going to say for you, you know, uh, this is your location on election day, it also lists out other locations on election day that you can attend. So we're trying that as a pilot to make it a little bit easier for folks. And hopefully in 2022, we can roll it out right across the city. Mark Lemoyne is the city of Winnipeg senior election official. And, And Mark, how are the ballots counted? Is this all electronically counted? Because of course, here in the media. We'd like to get it results as quickly as we can. How will those results get sorted out and that information spread and disseminated uh, to the either the candidates or to the media? So basically what we do is they're all written uh, through a voting machine at 8 o'clock. Uh, our operators out there in the field will press the uh, close polls button. That'll generate a tape. Uh, those tapes will actually be posted up in the schools or community locations where the vote is taking place. So as scrutineers and candidates can you know look on the wall and get that very first peek at the results. Uh, very soon after that, all those results get transmitted back here to City Hall. We load them up into our system and they go up on the website as soon as we get them. So we expect our first results... Uh, uh, that'll be on our website. We'll be right at around 8.15. Those will be the results of the 40,000 people who voted in advance. And then soon after that, we'll start to get the results from the field. Those will go up between 8.15, and we should get our last one up on our website somewhere around 9.30. You mentioned off the start that, you know, happy election day. I mean, for folks behind the scenes, walk us through this. Is, is this uh, kind of like your Stanley Cup? I mean, are you giddy in that sense? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, uh, you know, I got in here around 5.30, and there was a number of my staff already here before me, right? So there's lots to do. It's like any event management, whether you're doing a wedding or something else, right? You have to be ready to handle all the different problems on the day. We've got 200 uh, voting locations out there. We hired 2,500 workers. I've got uh, 200 or so uh, can 
candidates, you know, asking me lots of questions. And we will have 200,000 people actually go to those 200 locations today. So there's always going to be lots of issues and lots of problems, mostly people and event management. We do tons of checking out there to try and make sure everything is right. But there's always going to be issues that come up through the day. So we got our election hotline set up. And as uh, things happen, you know, our workers call in from the field and we give them advice and try and solve any problems so that everyone can get out there and uh, enjoy the right to vote. Mark Lemoyne, Winnipeg Senior Election Official. I have a couple of questions as it pertains to uh, school trustee voting. The first one has to do with voter eligibility. I'm at winnipeg.ca right now, looking at the voter eligibility. And there's a, there's a discre- not a discrepancy, but there are some different eligibility requirements for voting for mayor and councillor and voting for a school trustee. Can you walk us through that? So basically in the city of Winnipeg, in order to be eligible to vote, you have to be a Canadian citizen and you have to be 18 years of age. To vote for mayor and council, you have to have lived in the city of Winnipeg for six months. So it doesn't matter if you moved from St. Boniface to St. James, you still get to vote uh, for the mayor and council or you just vote where you live on election day. For school trustee, you have to have lived within the school division for at least six months. So if you move from the Louis Riel school division to the St. James Assiniboia school division within that six months, Unfortunately, you're not eligible to vote for a school trustee this election around. You have to have lived in that school division. If you move from one ward to another, so in other words, if you go from you know, one ward in St. James School Division to another ward in the St. James School Division, you will be eligible. But if you change school divisions within that six months, you would not be eligible to cast a ballot for school trustee. So is that something that would be flagged then when I check in? Like, will someone ask me, have you lived in this ward for this area for six months? Correct. And what we do is we actually build up a voters list. We use uh, and have a partnership with Elections Canada. So use the National Registry of Electors. Uh, we have 510,000 people in our voters list and we compiled that, you know, six months before the election. Then over the summer allowed people to call and give us updates, their addresses and their names and those types of things. And so at that point we indicated to them, you know, have you lived at this address for six months? If not, it, uh, you know, goes off and into the record and indicates in the voters list whether they're eligible to vote for school trustee or not. And if you're not on the voters list, when you go to the polls today, you'll actually fill out an oath at the polls to add you to the voters list. And they'll ask those questions then, you know, if you've lived at that particular address for six months or not, and determine whether you're eligible to vote for mayor, councillor, or school trustee. Mark, I just want to confirm the number. You said there are 510,000 Winnipegers eligible to vote today? Correct. That's how many people we have on our voters list this year. That's a lot. Hopefully we see uh, a great chunk of that turnout uh, for tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, we had a record turnout in advance. Uh, almost 40,000 people came out to our advance polls. So, you know, we're hoping that translates into uh, a good turnout today. You know, our reports from the field are that it's been very strong this morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, it usually is lots of people trying to get in and before they get to work. But, uh, you know, it sounds like it's quite busy, especially in uh, some of the wards out there. We've got five council wards without an incumbent. So the candidates in those wards especially have been very good about trying to drive their citizens and their vote out to the polls. Traditionally, is that where you see inc- like more votes? than others or is there a ward out there where it's always just really good to get that vote out? You know, certainly there's been uh, lots of strong uh, wards out there type of thing, especially in advance. Um, some of the existing candidates are very good at getting the vote out, especially in advance. But certainly those five wards, uh, you know, we do tend to see the highest turnout. Some of the wards, the inner city wards, uh, sometimes you don't see as high a turnout. And we haven't seen quite as high a turnout, let's say, from Waverly West this time, where there's an acclamation for councillor, our first one since 2002. And I think, you know, that's uh, 
perhaps uh, keeping uh, people from not getting as much information at the door, not as many candidates going out trying to ask them to get out to vote for them. So the turnout so far in Waverly West has been a little bit lower. Mark Lemoyne, Winnipeg Senior Election Official. Thank you for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time. Of course, and if I can add one more thing, if you don't know where you go to vote on Election Day, either do call 311, they're open 24-7, or go to our website at winnipeg.ca, where do I vote? Simply click on that icon, enter your home address, and it'll tell you where you go to vote on Election Day, 8 to 8, as well as tell you who your candidates are. Thank you very much, Mark. Before we introduce our next guest here, breaking news out of the United States. First, we just learned 23 minutes ago that there's been a bomb found at the home of Hillary and Bill Clinton in a New York City suburb. And as of five minutes ago, we learned, according to the Secret Service in Washington, a package identified as a potential explosive device has been sent to former President Barack Obama in Washington. So we will keep an eye on that. But Greg Mackling, our next guest, is here for World Polio Day. Yeah, World Polio Awareness Day is today. More than 31,000 Canadians have survived the deadly virus in the last century. Wes Hazlitt, his aunt would call him Wesley, joins us now. He's lived with polio for over 65 years. Wes, thank you so much for reaching out to us on this very special day. How old were you when you found out that you had polio? I was uh, 13 months old, Greg. And so tell us the, the battles that you've uh, overcome and faced uh, in your 65 years. Oh, that's more than we could do in the 60 seconds. Um, obviously, I have little memory of it, being 13 months old. I had uh, just recently learned how to walk, and my mother came to the crib one morning, and I couldn't sit up. So that was her experience, and over the years, we... Did a lot of things. I walked with a couple of braces and crutches as a as a person growing up, and then gradually, as I got older, I used less and less aids, and only used the crutches to walk long distances. And I, I did learn how to water ski and ride a bike when I was in my mid-teens. And then about 30 years ago, things started to happen, which I couldn't explain. And that was the early stages of post-polio syndrome. And new weaknesses started. I started um, falling down unexpectedly and having difficulty doing certain things. Now, a big part of this conversation today is celebrating uh, what you've overcome, Wes, and and what so many, the 31,000 that you highlight in the documentation you sent us at 15, you walked 35 miles on crutches. Why'd you do that? Uh, because um, most of the people that survived paralytic polio wanted to appear normal. And uh, there weren't the kinds of accommodations back then that they have today. So we did everything we could just to be normal. My brothers had gone in the Miles for Millions walk the year before. My younger brother made it about 11 miles. And uh, I decided I wanted to do it. So I took the pledges and uh, made the whole trip. I was sorry I did it afterwards because I ached for days. I bet. But uh, it was fun while it lasted the first mile or so. It's about celebration today, but I think there's a bit about raising awareness as well because there might be a perception out there, in Canada at least, that you know we've eradicated polio and we don't need to worry about it anymore. What would you say well, to that? That's the big thing, um, Loren, is... Uh, Recently in the news, you probably read some things about 
a polio-like virus that struck people in the United States, strikes children, just like polio. And uh, some people would say if it uh, looks like a duck and walks like a duck, maybe it is a duck. Uh, My big concern is that because polio is out of the limelight, parents aren't vaccinating their children. We've seen recurrences of measles and mumps, and polio is only a plane ride away. Uh, There are people growing up in war-torn countries where the Rotary Club and their program of vaccinating children of the world can't get in there. And I would not want parents to have to live with this kind of thing with their children that my parents had to. So I, I really encourage people to get their children vaccinated. It's unfortunate the kind of uh, airplay and time that's been spent by the anti-vaccination movement based upon studies that were proven to be false and misleading. Our guest in studio, Wes Hazlitt, joining us today on World Polio Day. Thank you so much uh, for joining. Uh, Just in in the last 30 seconds, if anybody wants to learn more, uh, can you point us in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, PostPolioNetworkManitoba.ca or uh, look us up on Facebook. And it's especially important if people had non-paralytic polio uh, to investigate it because these post-polio syndrome type events could be occurring in your life and they might link back to that. All right, Wes, thank you so much for joining us today. Right now, as you're tuning in, we want to tell you about Dwarfism Awareness Day, which is tomorrow in Manitoba and I believe around the world, but our guests can confirm that for us. We have Samantha Rayburn Trubick, who is president of Little People of Manitoba, Connie Lidster, who is the treasurer, and Avery, an 11-year-old member of Little People of Manitoba. Thank you to all three of you for the annual visit. Hello there. Hi, thanks for having us. So is it just in Manitoba? It's just in Manitoba. We're the first province to have this in Canada. How'd you manage that? You know what? We have some great friends. So Dr. John Gerard, we, we kind of approached him and talked about the importance of this for us and through advocacy and and him really supporting us and his um and one of the people that works for him shandy strong she's amazing and they took this and and assisted us and what was so amazing is last year in the legislature all parties unanimously voted for it wow which uh, amazing why is it so important i mean i can see the sparkle in your eye when you talk about it. why is it so in important to you you know what we've come a long way um Little people in general, the history of little people, just from the freak show era to today, it's a huge accomplishment for us. And, and I, you know, huge, no pun intended, but it's enormous. It's, it's so fantastic just for advocacy, getting our name out there, um, talking to people about who we are. You know, there's a lot of people that don't belong to our organization that we would love to have join. And, and we just want to, you know, let people know that it's okay to be who you are and be comfortable in your own skin. Well, Avery, are you comfortable in your own skin? Yeah. Yeah? So what about your your friends at school or the people you go to school with? Do they treat you any differently? No, like I have some adjustments at school. Like I have lower hooks and lower cubbies, but no, they don't really treat me different. And was it always that way, Avery? You're 11, so I'm going to put you in grade 6. Would that be right? Yeah, grade 6. So has it been that way since you started school? That yeah. Did your friends have been have been kind to you in that fashion? Yeah. 
Uh, it just says a lot, a, a lot, I think. Uh, Connie, maybe you can uh, dispel this or, or validate it. I think a lot of the problems that uh, kids have with other kids comes from their parents. What do you think? Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, the 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 network and the support system is very important when when growing up with dwarfism, uh, because they challenge you to uh, be uh, to try as hard to just be as everyone be like everybody else. Now, people with dwarfism still face the social and physical barriers that stand in the way of choices and opportunities. Um, and uh, that's why on October 25th, um, you know, we're asking that people help promote dwarfism awareness in order to challenge those barriers and creating a culture of equality and respect for all. And also, uh, we wear green on October 25th just to represent um, dwarfism awareness. Uh, now, I know that in um, the, the Accessibility for Manitobans Act was proclaimed in 2013 with a vision to remove barriers to participation for persons with disabilities. So this will help enhance opportunities for many people who not just face dwarfism, but who have a disability. And this is going to include a great um, opportunity for us. So dwarfism, it's called dwarfism, but you I wouldn't refer to you as a Dwarf, would I? You sure could. Uh, you, well, the best is to refer to me as my name, but you could do uh, dwarfism is the medical condition, little person's acceptable, uh, person of short stature. There's many things that are acceptable. The only word that's not acceptable would be what we call the M word, which would be uh, midget. Uh, and that's to us very discriminatory. Why is that for those who might think, well, what's a big deal? Yeah, it comes from, again, like the freak show era when, when we were mocked and we were put on, you know, ridiculed. And so that's kind of where the term started. And it, as that's, it's still a term, and we've talked about this before, but it's still a term that is found in sports, for example, hockey, right? 100%. And that's something that we're really uh, wanting to move the needle on and something that we're going to hopefully tackle in some at some point. Uh, we had a really great conversation with Sport Manitoba last year, and it seems like that there's some great support. This province is amazing. I think this province, out of all of the Canadian provinces, is just outstanding. And we really, um, the love that we've received through this, and, and always, but the love that we've really received has just, I, I think we're really going to move the needle on that. You brought up a really good question about parents and support, and, and I think it's it, it's so important. And I think we have a little bit to go with this dwarfism awareness. They will definitely help, but we have a little bit, you know, more to teach our younger generations about the why, you know. And I can give it a great example. Of, you know, last year I was shopping at the bay, uh, love the bay, and um, I, I came out of the clothing racks, and there were some kids who were who were mocking me, and they were, you know, making fun of me, but they were using correct terminology. So I really wasn't sure whether to go compliment them and say, you know, thank you, uh, or to teach them the why and and the and you know the whole you know teaching them the why behind why you know politically correct mocking. It was amazing. It it was politically correct mocking. So was it like look at the little person kind of thing? Yeah, they were using look at the little person. Oh, isn't the you know person of short stature funny? And I was going, (laughs) I I don't know how to handle this because normally I would go and educate you on terminology, and this was. So I so I think it's cool that we're we're talking about political correctness and we're moving the needle on the names and the wording, but I think we have some distance to go with, you know, teaching kids and teaching adults about the why it's not it's not fun or it's not impo- or why it's important. Well, you know, in uh, looking at your website, I can't believe this is a, a topic of conversation. Or you know, most places will have uh, a frequently asked questions section. Yeah, and one of your 
FAQs is are little people less intelligent than average sized people? This this is a question. This is a question, my friend. Wow. Well, you know, let's get into that a little bit more after we check your forecast. We've got to pause the conversation here on the start. In studio, we have Samantha Rayburn-Trubick, president of Little People of Manitoba, Connie Lidster, who is treasurer, and Avery, an 11-year-old member of Little People of Manitoba. It's Mackling, McGarry, McNabb on the start. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on 680 CJOB. And on this election day... We're going to celebrate something from Lonely Planet in a moment as it pertains to Manitoba, but of course the big story uh, this morning out of the United States has to do with the U.S. Secret Service saying agents have intercepted packages containing possible explosive devices addressed to former President Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. The agency says neither Clinton nor Obama received the packages and neither was at risk of receiving them because of screening procedures. Uh, The devices were discovered late Tuesday and early today. And CNN, we're watching the footage right now, their offices in New York have been evacuated because of a suspicious package as well. And uh, investigators also believe the explosive is linked to one that was found uh, Monday at the compound of liberal billionaire George uh, Soros. So uh, there's, uh, well, it's it's kind of a chaotic scene right now in New York, and uh, we'll keep you up to date on that story throughout the morning on CJOB. And we mentioned it in business this morning, the speculation about what the Bank of Canada would do to their key interest rate. Well, the Bank of Canada has, in fact, raise that key interest rate by one quarter of a percentage point, taking it to 1.75%. And you know there'll be all sorts of cascading changes in terms of mortgage rates, etc., from all the major banks. If it's not happening today, it'll be happening in the next day or so. Certainly signals more hikes to come. So Lonely Planet yesterday revealed their top 10 list, top 10 travel list, and Manitoba made the cut for place top 10 places around the world to visit. And uh, we have in studio with us a Manitoban tour operator that has all kinds of hidden gems they can tell you about uh, to cash in, really, on this Lonely Planet news. And our guest's name is Tristan Schneider with Twin River Travel. Tristan, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So, first of all, for those who maybe don't know, what is Lonely Planet? So Lonely Planet is a travel guide that's been around for decades. And, and you know, any seasoned traveler will direct you towards Lonely Planet, whether you're going to, you know, Toronto for the weekend or, you know, to Kazakhstan. It, it doesn't matter. Lonely Planet often has the best guides. So for Manitoba to make the cut, big deal then. Oh, it's a very prestigious spot on the list for sure. There's so a, what are they highlighting? Sorry, Loren, what are they hi- highlighting as the reasons to come to Manitoba? I think some of the things that we think of first, we take for granted. It's like, oh, yeah, who wants to come here to see Manitoba for this? But what is on the list and what is what are the highlights in Lonely Planet's observations? So Lonely Planet has highlighted Manitoba uh, very specifically because of Churchill and the you know opportunities to see the polar bears and the northern lights. And, you know, it's a way to access uh, the tundra and, you know, it's like going to to the northern pole, except you can fly there. And it's really an incredible experience. And obviously, most Manitobans haven't even been to to Churchill. So um, it's turned into one of the most desirable places in the world to go to uh, for international guests. 
Uh, also, in the piece, they highlight Winnipeg and the surrounding area. You know, it, it, we've really got a neat city here, and it's uh, lots of neat cultural opportunities, uh, you know, as well as the backcountry around Winnipeg. We really have uh, kind of a little bit of everything in Manitoba. One of the things that I think is part, you know, when this came out yesterday, I saw a lot of people super excited to see that we had made this list because there's incredible destinations on it. And then there was a few people, too, that you not more than a few that said, oh, ha ha, like, come on, how did we make this cut? And I think part of the problem is that even Manitobans, you mentioned Manitobans can't get to Churchill. Manitobans haven't explored enough of their own backyard. But part of that might have to do with cost and how we can make Churchill more accessible and affordable to people if they want to get up there. Do you hear that a lot? Is a challenge from people who want to try to get north? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the truth is that Churchill is uh, incredibly expensive. Even in the world of luxury travel, Churchill's expensive. So, you know, it's certainly not in, in everyone's capacity to get there, get up there, especially in the last couple of years that the train line's been down. Um, now, something as a tour operator that I hear from, you know, Manitobans all the time is exactly that. And, you know, like, you know, like, ha ha, you know, it's just Manitoba, it's Winnipeg, it's nothing special, but I, I've spent the last few years trying to, you know, dissuade that. that and change their mind because the truth is that um, most Manitobans haven't really, you know, experienced their province. And, and there really are some affordable ways to get out and, and experience what Manitoba has to offer. So give me an example. Where would you take if I were to phone now or someone out there is listening and say, OK, show me this part of Manitoba that you really love to highlight. Where would you where would you take us? Well, I mean, personally, my background is in canoeing and camping and that kind of thing. And Manitoba is, I mean, an absolute, like, <laughs> wonderland for, for that kind of travel. You know, you can drive two hours out of the city to somewhere like Nopeming Provincial Park, which is just northeast of the city, and you can disappear into the forest for, you know, a week, two weeks, you know, or just for a weekend, right? And, you know, a canoe and a tent is all you really need. So... I mean, there's a little bit of a skill barrier there, but it's not that expensive. And I, I find that a lot of, you know, Winnipeggers and Manitobans, you know, if they have spring break or their summer, they'll fly down to Mexico or they'll, you know, go down to, to Florida or something like that. But, uh, you know, I strongly encourage people to, you know, explore Manitoba. One of the things that it did not mention, at least as far as I can ascertain, is any reference of the new designation for the UNESCO World Heritage Site on the east side of Lake Winnipeg. You're offering an opportunity to take advantage of that. Yeah. So a really new, incredible thing that Manitoba has to offer is just this July, uh, we were designated for a new UNESCO World Heritage Site called Pimachwinaki. And what's super interesting about this site is it is both designated culturally and physically, which is, I think there are only a handful in the world. So what that means is that uh, it covers both the physical landscape and, you know, the beautiful boreal forest and rivers uh, that run through it. But it also uh, is protecting the uh, Anishinaabe culture and, and the communities that are in that area. So it's this really cool, duly designated UNESCO site um, that is, in my opinion, really encapsulates uh, some of the most special and important things about Manitoba. 
So as we look at, uh, once again, Lonely Planet, named Manitoba amongst its top regions to visit in 2019. If you go to LonelyPlanet.com, they've got top countries, top cities, top regions, and that's where Churchill, uh, or Manitoba, uh, specifically Churchill, falls into. Uh, but I was looking at your Instagram for Twin River Travel, and uh, the pictures there just look super fun, whether you're looking for uh, something wild, like it uh, looks like there's some some rushing rivers and what have you, or just relaxing pictures of a sunset with with a tent set up. So sounds like you've got a little bit of everything, whether you're adventurous or you just want to relax. Yeah, we're all about kind of, uh, we, we work with our guests, we work with their skill levels. So, you know, we've got everything from a three-day flat water trip in Nope Central Park for, for, you know, for people who've never canoed or even camped before, and they can come out with experienced guides, all of the food, all of the gear, all of the transports included. Oh, wow. And so, so really, you just come along with your backpack of clothes and your toothbrush. I can do this. this yeah, sounds good. absolutely. Yeah. Like, the truth is that anyone can do it. Well, I think it, that people think, you know, I don't yeah. have the canoe, I don't know how to carry it, then no. I'm going to get in the middle of the river and be like, oh my gosh, how do I get out of here? No, like, absolutely. And, and we're all about kind of making it the most comfortable and, you know, easy way to ease in. And, you know, it's a good experience uh, to go out with us. And then maybe the year after, you realize... You know, you can buy your own canoe and your own tent and, you know, maybe you can do it yourself. So, you know, we offer anything from that to to this new trip we're, we're planning on offering in the UNESCO site down the Bloodvein River, which is two weeks long and, wow. you know, class three, class four whitewater. So, you know, not for your beginner paddler, but an absolutely incredible experience flying into this, you know, remote lake in the middle of nowhere and paddling down a river for two weeks and exiting on Lake Winnipeg. So that's, you know, a completely different experience and really an incredible way of, you know, experiencing Manitoba. I think a lot of people think they've got to go to British Columbia or uh, Kananaskis country or similar up in the mountains to experience a, a, a level three or four rapid. We, we've got them here in Manitoba, and it just happens to be in one of the most beautiful parts and untouched parts of the boreal forest on the planet. It's It really is a hidden gem, and uh, I commend you for trying to bring it to the world. Uh, are you marketing outside of Manitoba? Yeah, so we're really gearing up to to you know expose the world to uh, to you know this experience in Manitoba, and you know we work heavily in in Germany and France and the UK and Switzerland. You know we take clients out from there already, and and they just love it. It's really incredible because you know, and this this kind of speaks to how Manitobans don't realize what we have here is. You know, a Manitoban thinks, oh, you know, I'll just go camping for the weekend. You know, no big deal. Just go to my cabin. But, you know, someone from, you know, Switzerland comes here and they're like, oh, my God. Like, I can go into the wilderness for two weeks and not see anyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a completely foreign idea to your average European. I think we also forget, too, and I, know, I think of this every time I have family come back home or friends, and as soon as we leave the perimeter, because I have, we often go to Minnedosa or Clear Lake, people at the sky, the sky alone and the sunsets are enough for people who live in different parts of this country even. You know, you don't you don't get them in that way and you don't have that wide expanse. You don't have that flatness. And so they're not saying, oh, it's so flat in a bad way. It's they like, marvel at it. oh, wow, I can look how far I can see. It's not a joke. It's 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 interesting to them. Twin River Ta- Travel is the name of the company. Only Manitoban company offering ecotourism in the new UNESCO World Heritage Site. And I'm going to try to say it, Pamachuanaki. Did I get Perfect. it right? Okay. And uh, you can follow them on social media. What's the website? Uh, TwinRiverTravel.com. Find all of our trip listings and any pertinent information. Tristan Schneider is uh, one of the co-founders. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tristan. We very much appreciate the time. Great. Thank you.
The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.